0: This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the Wisdom of Hobbits, by me, Matthew J. DeStefano. In this hopeful, yet at times poignant homage, I focus on everyone's favorite halfling friend, the Hobbit. A charming people, this shire-based race has captivated, enthralled, and enchanted the hearts and minds of millions. And though they're not a religious society, I argue that spiritual truths, love, kindness, generosity, hope, and even compassion can be found within their familiar, yet still relevant and didactic tales. So come and enter a world of adventure and intrigue. Whether it's your first foray into Middle Earth, or the Shires your second home, allow me to inspire you toward discovering your own inner hobbit. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your fine, fine books. From Choir Publishing. beautiful people. Welcome to a midweek episode. I have a lot of thoughts around my recent trip to Theology Beer Camp. Yes, you heard me talk about it probably a lot when I was running promotions for it. It was a great time. Over 30 people from TNE bought tickets. By the way, I'm pretty sure I met all of you, I think. If I did not, I'm sorry. Uh, Let me know. Um, It it meant the world that anyone anyone would buy a ticket and use our promo code and come out. Um, This was a really great event overall, and it also led me to process a lot of feelings that I have not had in a while. So I brought out my friend, Sarah Heath. She is a pastor. She is just a great human being. We bonded even more this weekend, and uh, yeah, we talked about our feelings and our emotions and our thoughts, and it was really good. And I think this kind of—we ended up going into a a more broad picture, uh, a broader conversation about— what it means to be in space is that we found really problematic before, but we found ourselves back in, in a more progressive way or a more inclusive way and in how we navigate that. And what does that mean? And why did I feel certain emotions and then repress them instead of embrace them? All that good stuff. So this was, this was a really, I think, thought provoking conversation and a needed one. And, um, yeah, that's all I really got. I wanted to get this out. I was thinking about doing a few videos on Instagram, trying to process this, but you know. This was like a long form conversation. I just had to kind of get into the nuance and the weeds and just all the layers that I found um, myself navigating a- at Theology Beer Camp. Again, friends, it was so great meeting you this weekend who were there. Um, there were amazing scholars, amazing humans, amazing artists. And I was honored to be a part of that group. So, yeah, thanks for being here. Let me know what you think about, th- about this episode if you want to Help us out. You can share and like the podcast or you can share it on YouTube whenever this gets posted to YouTube. If you want to support the work that we do, we are a nonprofit organization and donations are the most direct way to do that. We don't do anything behind a paywall. Everything we do is completely paywall free and donations make that possible. Click on the link in our show notes to do that. All donations are tax deductible. And yeah, that's all I got. Short and sweet intro today. Happy Wednesday. Enjoy this episode. Talk to y'all later on. All right. Hello, Sarah. Hi.
1: (laughs) Hi. Uh, Have you been on the podcast before? I was just thinking about that. I don't think so. I've been on your podcast. You've been on my podcast. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, listen, it's good to see you again. I saw you, what, two or three days ago for a whole weekend. No. And we were at this thing called Theology Beer Camp. Our friend Trip Fuller started it, what, 10 years ago? Um, It's been 10 years
1: because I was at the first one.
0: That's what he says. I don't know. Maybe it's not as long, but um, it's been going on for a while and you and I went out to this past one and I just am still sorting out a lot of my thoughts and feelings and my experience and i know that you've been doing the same and also let's face it you and i had a very bonding conversation we had one of those we had one of those like camp bonding conversations where yeah. it's like oh my god i've never told anyone this before and then we, 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 we pinky swore a lot of our deep darkest secrets i know and it was like so, 2
1: p.m like it wasn't even like around a campfire late at night it was like hey we, we weren't be... even <laughs>
0: drinking <laughs> you know, we we're, were totally sober we're just sitting
1: there i think we were like At that point, I think I was drinking like a cider slowly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the one I gave you. It was like that. It was that uh, the apple cider habanero. I don't know. I don't drink a lot. And people know that I like ciders or sours. So someone brought me one anyway. So sweet. So anyway, yeah. So, I mean, you and I met a a year ago actually at beer camp Mm -hmm. um, when it was in uh, Chapel Hill. We hung out this weekend. And I was thinking a lot about just – those kinds of events and how I'm processing them and also what happened on Saturday night for the closing ceremony and all that stuff. Ugh. So before we get into it, though, I'm not sure if the audience knows much about you. Do you want to just kind of give a brief intro, just like who you are and what yeah. you do?
1: sure. So uh, my name is Sarah Heath. Um, currently on a lot of things, you can find me as Rev Sarah Heath. Uh, I was a pastor, I guess am a pat. I don't even know how to use the language around it these days, but um, for 17 years, 16 years in wow. a local church. Um, wow. I, you know, went straight to seminary from uh, undergrad. I went to Duke Divinity. Uh, That's what makes me a nerd. I love... Talking about these things, but I went through a bit of a faith shift. Although I grew up in a fairly progressive home, I moved to the south, so I spent like I've, I've served time in the evangelical world, uh, mostly because they had the cuter boys. Um, I've sure. served, right? true, like oh. true. just it was at the time of deep V necks and useless scarves, and I was I was there for it, and I was like super that's into funny. indie rock and hardcore and that kind of stuff. So it just provided a community for me when I was looking for a community. So I think um, that's a little bit of my story, and then really I've always worked in uh, the United Methodist denomination. And so worked in more progressive spaces, but I still had that like, uh, connection to the more evangelical spaces. Um, but I grew up in a very progressive setting cause I am Canadian. And so there's always been this rub for me, um, between, uh, you know kind of what american christianity looks like and kind of what i grew up around and so, mm-hmm. and then i was in the south. so i feel like that uh plays into a lot of why these experiences are unique for me. and then um i just got really burnt out and um i started a podcast about this like unique thing about me which is i love making space uh and i mean that literally and figuratively. i love designing spaces, i love building things. i'm currently in like work overalls because i'm going to go work on my airstream this afternoon. um i Love that, but I realized I like making space for people as well. So literally and figuratively, so I started a podcast around that called Making Spaces. And then um, right after I left ministry, I was uh, part of a group called The Reverent Media, and I was talking to one of the folks in there. Mm. And I love a pun, so we were talking about how uh, like the word recover, like rev cover. I was like, I just need to rev cover from my last, you know, seventeen <laughs> years. And uh, yeah. so then we were like, oh, that's a good podcast name. And Justin Gentry, who was part of our media group, was like, I you know, he actually talked me through a lot of the process of letting go of a local church. And so we started a podcast thinking our parents would listen to it. Um, turns out my parents don't listen to it that often, but we do have a lot of people who, uh, they do listen to yours, uh, who do listen to, um, recovery, who are folks who, um, whether they are transitioning out of leaving ministry or maybe they're transitioning how they've seen their faith. It's just sort of a place for people to, gather and talk about what it's like to go through a shift of any sort. So that's a little bit about me. So recovery is kind of the, the podcast that I'm currently in process with, but I'm making spaces coming back in a couple months. So that'll be
0: Okay. Um, that's helpful. Yeah. Justin was at, uh, this event as well. And Cortland and Megan, it was good hanging out with them and meeting. I met Justin last year and then meeting Megan and Cortland in, in, uh, in person. They're It was just wonderful. So um, that was great. I think one more question I have for you, just so we're on the same page. Would you say that you were someone who like, quote unquote, deconstructed at some point or did you renegotiate? Like, What's that relationship like for you? Because you said you grew up more progressive. So what was there to undo? Give me some of those thoughts.
1: I grew So I think... I think, in a weird way, this is going to be a little bit backwards for some of your listeners. Like, I think I scared my parents because I became conservative in college. Um, like, I brought home a Republican, and they were like, "What is happening?" Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> how dare she? Um, no, I, because I had grown up um, in more progressive spaces, but moved to the South. I think I really wanted to become American, and there was a lot about um, fitting in you know, there's a difference between fitting in and belonging. And I think I tried really hard to fit in. I was a sorority girl. Uh, and so that's also funny. Imagine a a person who like goes to like super hardcore shows and then is also a sorority girl, like the cute sorority girl, uh, group, like they were like the cheerleaders and, you know, and I was a soccer, it weird, it was just the weirdest. I was such a, um, dichotomy like walking around. Um, and so I think I never felt like I belonged in any space. And, um, the language around the evangelical church was so felt like belonging. And now I realized it was fitting in. And I, so I really did sort of take it on for a while. So I remember, you know, for a while, like I literally had that um, saying of like, well, being gay is like, you know, it's like being an alcoholic. Like I believed you were born with it because both my parents are in the medical field. So I was like, I believe you're born that way, but like you can choose to live or not live that way. And the implications of that are ridiculous and full like of privilege. So yeah, I was a, I was a nightmare for a little while. <laughs> like I was the one that, like wouldn't go to parties and drove my sorority sisters, and just felt really good about myself for that. You know,
0: yes, yes, totally living
1: the righteous life and just being a bit of a dick. Um, but like quietly, a dick. Like everyone thought I was sweet because I had to be like the good sweet girl. Um, <laughs> but like I was secretly judging everyone. <laughs> however you want to look at it. And I think you know that was part of too the deconstruction for me was sort of a return. In, in some ways. Um, for me, the painful deconstruction has really been around church systems and practices and how we um, we take advantage of people within church structures. Even the most healthy um, theological ones, um are structured in a way that causes harm to people who work for them. So, um, yeah, I think I've done a lot of deconstructing in the last couple of years. Uh, and i'm I'm grateful for that. And I think, it felt more natural, especially like I was reading all these books in, in seminary that made sense to me. And it was sort of like, oh, like I felt like I needed to go on an apology tour.
0: <laughs> Been there. Uh, yeah, that's why I started the New Evangelical so I could say I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> in a public um, way.
0: Yeah, it, pretty. I mean, I have called this like part of my public repentance because mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, I was I was just wrong on so many things. And I want to try and make some of those wrongs right. Um, So you and I went to this event and, you know, the the audience probably has a decent idea of what it is because I was promoting it for like months as an ad. But, you know, essentially um, our friend Tripp started this thing and it's kind of a combination of lecture, interactive community. Um, They drink a lot of beer. I'm not a big beer person, but the the beer nerds come out and like all share their bottles and like who brewed what. And that's great. I, I mean, if that's you, I'm thrilled for you, truly. It's just never like a thing that I really got into. They have a whole like nerd stage talking about the connections between Christ and Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and like theology. So it's a pretty wide, you know, smorgasbord of like different types of people who attend. And so you and I were at this thing. There was about 450 people there. Um dozens of like scholars. Uh, there were, um, some womanist theologians, there were, uh, you know, um, Bonhoeffer theologians, uh, John Dominic Cross and like one of the greatest living New Testament scholars of our time. Uh, he was there. So it's, it's, it's a really unique kind of event. And also there was a lot of music, like we e. grant was there. Derek Webb was there. Ivy King was there. Uh, Trey, uh, Pearson was there. And then of course, A lot of people who have kind of found each other online also get to meet up and kind of hang out. And then people like from your community who buy tickets go, so you get to meet them. And so it's just, it's a lot. Like it's a really fun, but intense event. It is a lot.
1: Yeah. And I think (laughs) it it was interesting because there was someone who drove us around, drove uh, myself and friend around, and they were uh, saying for them what an incredible experience it was because they live in Springfield and they don't have that kind of community. And we were like, you really just want to like drive us around? Like we thought he would drive us from the airport and then, but he like came with us to lunch and it was like so fun. And he became one of my favorite people of this weekend. And he was like, to me, it's just such a, I don't get to have these conversations. I don't get to hear people having these conversations that you guys are having over lunch. And so I'd rather just like be around you and I don't mind driving you at all. I enjoy it. Um, and so we had our own little Uber. It was like incredible. Um, but also just like leveling. Like I, I've i listened to your show forever, but we can be, fr- you know, it was just, I, one of the things I will say is it feels like it is a very leveling event. Like you see theologians sitting outside on the lawn, having a conversation with people who, you know, just came because they were curious, you know? Uh, yes. I will say that is, and I, I should say like for me, my last iteration of church community that I created was a very progressive space. And so there is some um, joy that I have to see like drag queens leading worship. And, you know, that sort of thing feels um, strangely like home in some ways for me.
0: I really agree with you about the leveling thing. Um, Last year was my first year, and that's when I met Pete Ends, And I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting dinner with Pete ends, And it was by, by. oh my God, I'm getting dinner. I met me and a bunch of people and, and one of them happened to be Pete. We're just getting dinner, hanging out like normal humans, right? And so you, there is like this, one of the problems with the social media space, broadly speaking, including the space that we're in, is that it does create, whether we like it or not, these like platforms in this space between people on this side of the microphone and the people who are listening. Weird ass celebrity. It
1: um, doesn't make any sense.
0: <laughs> it is, it's, yeah, I I don't know. I have a lot of feelings on that. That, that we're, we're, we'll probably get into as we go along, but um, events like that, I love them because. There's no like real green room, right? It's not like oh, they're all behind the scenes waiting to come out on stage, and we are just hanging out here in the pews. It's like no, I mean, in some of the sessions I I was on stage with, there were other people in the room who were like legendary scholars, and I'm like humming, 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 like don't say anything too dumb, you know, you you fool. Uh, But they're just there hanging out. It's a really good time, and for me, like you, that was. It was just nice. It was just nice to be around people without like those like platform differences. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. It's a, I, I think I was a little bit surprised. I remember the first time I went to go, Um, I, so I had been a youth pastor for six and a half years um, before I started being a lead pastor, but I really transitioned from that to also speaking at events. And so going to bigger and bigger events that I was speaking at. And I remember the first time So when you're a youth pastor, you're used to to being with the kids all the time. And the first time I went to a conference where I was the keynote speaker, and they put me in a room that said talent. And I literally was like, what?
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Who's this for? (laughs) Like literally.
1: But it also was kind of a a sad moment for me because there was that separation between the people that I really came to be with. I have a little bit of an introverted streak, and so I don't mind having that alone time. But it was super – I don't know. It just felt really uh, disingenuous for who I am. Uh, And so I love, I love that idea that like anyone who wants to approach anyone there, there's no one who's like going and hiding in a dressing room.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Cause they're too good for it. Right. Mm-mm. Um, what's well, weird to me and you know, I have you on the podcast cause I needed, I needed, I need a therapist and I figured that if I have you on, it's free.
1: Um, but <laughs> I'm not a therapist. I am a coach. I am an ICF coach. So Well, I guess listen, that
0: evangelicalism, it's the same. Thing. And There's I was no a pastor, yeah. which in
1: evangelicalism is the same as there. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah you're obviously
0: good. a trained therapist. If you're a pastor, Yeah, we are more so the same, so right? We're good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> clearly what what, i don't know how to have this real talk without sounding weird but hey you know we're all about the honesty and the real talk um it is a very it's an unsettling feeling for me i'm still navigating through this to have people walk up to you and say um hey your podcast has like changed my life or hey your work is really important and then one person I talked to was like crying. Yeah. I and then I started too. crying and I'm like oh. and, and 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 the reason why I feel that way is because it's such a sense of responsibility to do right by people who like really for some reason I don't know why, right? Because you're always your worst critic. I just don't see like much of an allure beyond like the average Joe smell like guys, Pete ends Pete ends has a podcast. Like go listen to his, like, what are you doing listening to mine? You know, I mean, honestly, I'm just being honest. That's just how I feel sometimes. Right. Is, is like, I'm just a normal dude trying to make sense of very complicated things. And then people come up to you and they're like, oh my God, I follow you online and like your work is so important. And it means the world. And I, and I don't know what to say to that because what I want to say is like, I'm so unbelievably humbled that you even think that, but also please don't think that because I'm really not that intelligent. I'm not that smart. And like, I'm just a normal dude who like, I don't think about it like that. Right. And the frustrating part for me is that I know that because of this medium that we use, whether it's podcasts or social media, it's, and I, it's a one way street primarily. And I hate that. I hate the one-way street of people know me better than I know them when I meet them, right? And it's not a matter of like, Um, it's not like a level thing. It's a I wish I could know you as well as you know me. But I know that that I know that the systems and platforms that we use to get this stuff out there is primarily designed to be more of a one-way street where I'm talking into a mic, you're listening to it through speakers and listening to my voice enter your ears. And I will most likely never hear the majority of the voices that listen to this podcast or that see my content online, right? And I don't like that because I Hopefully by now, Sarah, you can tell I'm, I'm a highly relational person. Yeah. I'd much rather prefer to have friends and like sit in a circle all day talking about this shit. But instead, here we are trying to do this stuff online. And then for some reason, I'm again, I'm just being as honest as I can be. So thanks for listening to me, Therapist Sarah. I love it. <laughs> but for, for some reason, people like this stuff. They like listening to the content that we put out. They like watching the videos. They think that we're doing good work. I did not mean to start all this three years ago. You know, I literally... I got up in my upstairs basement with no lighting, no microphone, put my camera on a little stand and said, Hey, friends, my name is Tim. Welcome to the New Evangelicals. Anyone else concerned about ABCD and E? And and then all of a sudden, How's here we are doing as a nationalism? Right, I- right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even have categories yet. Right. And so it was like, I think that sometimes people, and I'm sorry to be a little long winded here, but Not I've been enough. holding this in for days. And I want to talk to you about it because I know that we've been buds and I know that you have tons of thoughts too on this stuff. But, um, it is just like, it's just a strange feeling. I Some people start stuff and they have connections, right? Like, oh, well, my dad was this person or I was in this world for a long time and now I'm starting a podcast. That wasn't, I was a no-name volunteer worship drummer in, in South Jersey with like no real connections beyond like a Facebook account. And I think 1500 people who followed me for drumming content on Instagram. So it's just weird to think about Going from there to here, where I am, you know, doing this stuff and I love it. And people are like, I listened to your podcast and it's changed my life. And I'm like, holy shit, what an ethical responsibility we and people like yourself and others who are on this side of the microphone have. To to not mess that up because there's another level of trust that's been built, and the reality is most of the people who find me, I'm not sure about you, Sarah, they've already had yes. their trust broken yes. before, yeah. right? Like they're right. extra. Like for them to mm-hmm. trust again is a huge freaking deal. And somehow some of these people trust me. It's like, oh, Tim Whitaker, do not mess this up, damn it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's overwhelming. I think. Yeah. The reality is, though, it is maybe feels a bit like a one way street, but it is a two way street when we are intentional about being in these spaces and being with people like the idea that I can sit and have a conversation with someone who has found my work meaningful. And then in this moment, it's meaningful as well to have that face to face and you're not a dick in real life. Um, I think is, is super helpful, but I also think there is something unique about our, our audiences, which is also a weird term, but, um, and that these are people that we have shared story with our stories are similar in some way, shape, or form. Um, whether that be that we deconstructed from an idea or we were part of a community that we felt um affinity for and now we're going like the hell was that? Um and I think grief and trauma, there are trauma bonds that aren't healthy, but then there are some that really give a sense of me too. Um and and I use that term understanding like it is connected to the Me Too movement, but they're there's also a me-to-ness when it comes to, um, you know, I don't have to explain this to you. And that is actually what the the guy who drove us around, he said, there's so much I don't have to explain to you guys. And so there's there's this, like, we're starting at a different place than I start with so many of the relationships in my life. Um, it starts with an understanding. And when I say something to you, um, y- you hear it in a way that, you know, other people don't hear it. And I think recognizing that people are traumatized and then saying like i you know when i was a a pastor of a church that was mostly folks who were nuns and duns and just waiting for you to say like the one thing that they could be like oh thank god i can finally give up with this shit like they, you know they're looking for the thing and and you're you're feeling this great responsibility cuz you you know they're traumatized and so i think the the thing that i have learned over and over again is to admit like i understand that in this space i'm not always going to get it right And I'm really hopeful that instead you'll be able to tell me when I got it wrong and I'll be able to hold the space for like, I'm sorry. And then you'll be able to hold the space for, okay, you're coming at it with the best of intentions and it's not always going to be right. And I think you have to be a little bit more transparent with sort of community boundaries and rules. And um, all that sort of stuff. And speaking of authenticity, I don't know why my dog's decided to eat really loudly right now. He never eats. Um,
0: well, if it helps you, I can't even hear your dog. <laughs> Perfect. So.
1: I love it. Um, yeah, I think there's There's so much that I want to say from what you just said. And and one of it is like people are people. And I learned that a long time ago. Uh, it, my mom and dad always used to joke like everybody has to be somewhere. Because randomly, like the little town we lived in in Canada is a uh, – resort destination so a lot of times you just see like a random famous person walking down the street and my mom would always just say so like well someone has to everyone has to be somewhere (laughs) like right Right. people are just People. And I, I think about like the first time, you know, you mentioned Pete Ends a couple of times. So the first time I hung out with Pete and um, Jared, and Pete in some ways is like a big brother to me. We just joke around with each other a lot, but I didn't know him well enough at that point. And so we're at Wild Goose and we're walking between sessions. And at the time I had a podcast called Sonderlust, which is like the idea of like wishing that you had other people's lives, because here I was a pastor. I used to date. I wasn't dating. You know, my joke is I became a pastor and dating kissed me goodbye. Um, but I, like, I did not have a, a life in some ways. My whole life was this work and all this other stuff. So I did this podcast called Sonder Lust, The idea that I lust after other people's lives. Sonder being the word that means you realize other people are living different stories. So um, on the podcast, I had started dating this guy. I was like, I had to do all these challenges. My friends I had a year to do this podcast and my friends gave me all these challenges and I had to like online date and all these things I just was not comfortable with. So the other part of it is is like, I'm an, like, I love nerdy conversations and theology and i i would rather be seen in that sphere you know it's like what yeah, you said when you're on totally. the stage and you're like me i'm the person right like i right. would like to be seen at, like writing a book that like changed people's lives you know but here i am totally walking, yeah here totally. i am walking with pete and jared and all of a sudden pete goes so whatever happened with that guy And i was like what guy he's like you know the book guy and on my podcast, we had called one of the guys that I was dating "book guy" because he he snuck into my DMs by asking about John Wesley books. Come on, now. oh, sneaky, like nothing, sneaky. nothing sexier than the quadrilateral. If you're me, yeah,
0: right. <laughs> and So
1: I was like, "Talk quadrilateral yeah, to me, baby. I will tell you about the four-legged <laughs> table." Um, so, like, I was in that moment, I remember like stopping and looking and I was like, you listen to my podcast. He's like, yeah. I was like, no, please don't. Like totally. I'll create better content. Please, don't, right. listen. please so, don't listen to it. I have smart things to say. I can say like, it's a little bit Abelard. I got things. Um, but instead it's like talking about my dating life, but I realized, wait a minute. I'm just a person trying to figure out, like I'm just a girl standing in front of the world asking them like to let me be a person. And I, I think that's the truth is, what is so endearing about you and about the other podcasters that come is a sense of like, no, like I'm in this with you, you know, and when we talk about authentic relating and um, trying to really kind of use our platforms for good um, negating that we have a platform doesn't help because the people who listen to you listen to you because they find something of meaning from it. And I think what we do when we apologize for that is we say, Oh, when I, Create this stuff that really means a lot to you. It's not anything, and that can like, that can you know continue that sense of like, oh maybe, maybe you know maybe this these thoughts I'm having aren't important. And I so I honor people who do listen to it, and I value that someone came and cried with you. I mean, I had the most shy person in the world come up to me and be like, uh, I was like, oh, what brought you to uh, <laughs> what you to beaker, beer beer He's like, oh, I listened to to your podcast. I don't know who any of these other people are, and I was like. Oh, so humbling. And so, and you're right. There was a sense of like, and I would love to talk to this. um, There was a sense of like, what's the word I want? Responsibility I had, knowing that people came because they heard me talk about it. Like I would be in talks wondering how are my people experiencing this? Knowing some of the um, trauma that my people have are different uh, than some of the, like not everyone that listened to my podcast was evangelical, but most of them, At least significantly volunteered for their communities, um, and feel like they got taken advantage of. They're also often not welcome in deconstruction spaces because we are the problem, right? Most people are like bitching about the pastor. Well, what do you do when the pastor is like, "Uh, "I don't like this," you know? Like, so I, I there's a there's a way that it was not only humbling because people are there because they listen to you, but also a little bit of a responsibility not for even what you're saying, but for what other people are saying
0: yeah and I, you know to your point, I definitely don't I do think that that there's a line of downplaying whatever you're doing and making those people feel kind of guilty or bad like oh like i I'm sorry, I didn't know that like you think that like your work is that garbagey that I would listen to it right It's like sorry, I'm not insulting you i'm so I'm still trying to insult myself here, but like you know it, it can kind of come across that way sometimes too when you're when you're like just not being honest about like hey I'm glad that, that the work is helpful. it means a lot to me that you would say that um I just think it's um I just feel awkward with it personally. I, this, is a, this is like a personal thing, right? And, and I'm learning how to navigate it better and I'm learning how to say thank you instead of like, no, no, it's all God, it's not me, right? Like, Okay, so no, that I was going to be that, my next know?
1: point. It's all God, it's not me. So I think we have to recognize in the room that like for me, I grew up acting when I was little. Um, I started being able to memorize lines at five. Um, and so this inclination that I had for the stage was always... Um, made me feel like it was about me and that it was a selfish thing. And so I think my ability to speak about God became a way to do it in a way that was passable, right? So it was like, oh no, yeah, Sarah likes to be on stage, but for God, <laughs> so it's okay. Right. And, so and, it's okay. <laughs> and as a woman, um, mm. I have to also recognize that I learned to be coy a long time ago, particularly moving from Canada and then to the South. Um, and so I learned like people like you better if you're like shocked that anyone would choose you. Right. So nobody likes the, like every Miss America is shocked who me. Um, and nobody likes the one who's like, I worked for years for this. (laughs) Like they act like they accidentally showed up with a ball gown and they were like, Oh, you want me to try, you know? Um, you know, and we learn that and it, and then it becomes part of our DNA. It becomes part of who we are. And so when we take that God piece out, what we recognize, like, I, I'm doing this because I, because I believe in the health and healing and wholeness of people around me. Um, I don't have anyone else to thank for the work. And I have to like, for me anyway, it's like, oh, no, I, I might be doing this for God, but I'm actually doing this for you. And so, uh, and because I needed community. Like I created the thing I needed. Um, and it's really awkward. And so that awkward feeling you have has layers. It's not just like, I don't know how to say Thank you, but I don't have a thing to be like, thank you. God has really wanted me to cuss on the internet right. and talk about yes. how shitty churches. Just
0: know? I'm just following my calling.
1: Right. <laughs> right.
0: Oh. Right. Yeah. Um, were there I mean, you know, were there any sessions that stuck out to you this this week, uh, weekend or anything that was like, Oh, this was, this was a great moment. I mean, I plan on going back next year. It's a great way to meet some people in person. It's a great way to kind of get out of the social media world and just kind of literally touch some grass and meet people who are human beings beyond like an Instagram account handle. Uh, so for me, I don't necessarily go so much for like, oh, this person's speaking because that's what the internet's for. I can hear them speak anytime. It's like it's being embodied next to that person yeah. or persons that makes it for me. How about for you? Any highlights or anything like that?
1: Yeah, uh, there were a couple of highlights for me. I love the work of Adam Clark um, and uh, relational Oh, and his, he did this talk on um, kind of basically this idea of like community and love and relationship as theology. It was just super fascinating. But what I love is they paired him with Kevin Garcia. And so they said a bunch of really, I think Kevin Garcia is a genius. Uh, So said a lot of really beautiful things and their tone and person could not be more different um and, and then it-
0: adam yeah yeah j- j- just for the audience adam comes across a little more soft-spoken like he'll definitely talk but he's just his demeanor is much more like soft-spoken and like the way he dresses is pretty standard like you you would never pick him out of a bunch like you just wouldn't that's just how not how he is kevin garcia our dear friend however you could pick out of the sky at <laughs> ten thousand feet up i yeah. mean uh they they are just a very vibrant beautiful Loud person, and they dress like their like their personality, right? Yeah. So, so watching, I can only imagine watching Kevin and Adam talk had to be just quite the conversation.
1: It was an incredible conversation, but it was also uh, affirming. It was a lovely conversation about practice as a way of uh, getting into our faith and and doubt and what what that looks like, and it just finding out that these two have very similar faith practices was so interesting and. Um, you know, Kevin got, uh, Adam to talk about masturbation and that was like just the word, not like the they thing. Did? <laughs> like Kevin said something and used the word masturbate. and then like both Dan and I cannot remember his last name and Kevin, or I'm sorry. And Adam said, and I was just like, Oh, well, wow. we were in the youth room. So that well. made it funnier. Like there was a lot of giggling that <laughs> happened for me. Um, yeah. so that was a really meaningful session for me and also reminded me about a bunch of books that I want to reread. Um, and then also having flamey grant and Derek Webb and um, Tiffany Plum and Trey Pearson there and my friend Ivy, who I've been friends with for years, can come and play. These incredible allies and queer folk who are writing music that can hold meaning. I will admit to you that I haven't listened and haven't been able to listen to Christian music for a very long time. Um, uh,
0: same spoiler alert. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, <laughs> it It is it actually like causes a reaction in my body um, for a lot of reasons. And uh, to hear music sung by those who have been damaged um, by the community in a way that was healing and, and funny and lovely and brilliant. Like, I I kept writing, um, one of my friends had to leave early. Uh, Brian Rucker had to leave early. And I kept texting him like, oh my gosh, this is what they just sang. This is what they just said. And I'm sure he was like, Sarah, I'm on a plane. Stop. Uh,
0: I'm busy. I'm busy.
1: (laughs) I'm at We When We Were Young. I don't need to hear the lyrics (laughs) of another band. (laughs) Um, But I think for me, it was just such a healing experience to do that. Um, music has always been a very big part of my life. It's always been where I found community and connection, if I'm honest, probably beyond the church. Um, like even like most, a lot of my friends are musicians or sound people and it, uh, I don't know, there's something about going to a show and there was something very connecting for me. So yeah, having them in particular lead worship was really great because Derek is someone I met in seminary and he was like writing really Christian music at the time. So it's so fun because um, he's still writing Christian music, but in a different way. What about you? Is there like one that like anything that for you? Oh, and also like F f the Patriarchy was a great session too. You did a great job, that, by the way.
0: Yeah, that was a good one with uh, with Kate Hanch and Grace Junsom Kim. Um, that was interesting. That was a good one. We had a heckler in one of my other sessions, someone who tried to like – uh, you know, uh, get some of the philosophers on stage with me into corners. That was very fascinating. So I just need you to um, understand.
1: I was walking up the stairs to unplug my guitar or my, not my guitar, unplug my um computer and uh, I was sneaking and all of a sudden I hear this person become very confrontational and what I recognize in the room and people that were in the room, um, he wouldn't let the female speaker finish answering the question and the way that you handled that, I, I literally went out and I like looked at Trip and I was like, "Our boy Tim is a ninja," because the way you were like. <laughs> This is a question and answer session, and you are doing questions, but we would also like to do the answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a first for me, honestly. So, audience, the context is I'm doing a uh, the way that that the schedule works out is that you have like a, a main stage, which happens in the main auditorium. Then you have these breakout sessions, and one of the breakout sessions happened on the main stage, and I was on that stage with Bruce Benson and Katie. I don't know her last name. I'm blanking on it. It's Leah Robinson's uh, podcast host. Oh yeah, Katie's uh, listening to this, brilliant. I'm so sorry. Yeah. she is brilliant. Um, and she did something same. on our stories later on. But anyway, uh her their podcast is called uh throwing oh no, I feel like a complete Flip the amateur flipping. No, that's nope. not that's not it. I might have to edit this part out and figure that out. Hold on, I gotta look it up now, real quick. Yeah. What is uh what is the name of their podcast? Yeah, yeah, let's
1: get it. Leah's podcast is we know this. I know it like I'm I know my own. Up. Do you? Yeah, I can't think of it. Uh,
0: theology on the Rocks. That's, That's it. it. And Christy. OK, sorry. It's Leah Robinson and Christy Whaley. So I was listening. Uh, I'm on a stage with Christy Whaley, who is a she described her talk as like a theopoetics talk. And then Bruce Benson is one of like, as far as I'm aware, like a very leading thought philosopher and like expert on deconstruction. So they're doing their thing. And then we're doing a Q&A. Um, we're doing a Q&A, and at the very end, we had five minutes left. I said, okay, we have time for one more question, and this guy shoots up his hand quickly. I go, okay, great. Yeah, you. What's up? And long story short, he essentially just started going on about like how um, these two people on stage are taking away the center of gravity from people and that there is objective truth. And so he goes, so my question to you, meaning Bruce and Christie, is how do you know what a fork is? Trying, I guess, to do some kind of like uh, – some trick – So I'm thinking in my head like – and he sounded pretty heated, so I'm like, okay – so I said, well, I mean, it, it's a question. So yeah, Bruce, Christy, how, how do you know to fork is? So they start answering, and then this guy starts talking back to them, and that's when I pretty much had to say, like, hey, listen, man, I'm not trying to shut you down because we don't want to hear what you have to say. I'm just telling you that we're almost out of time, and that I will talk to you after this conversation. But this is this is not the he, this is not the time for this. This is not a this is not a dialogue. This is a monologue. So after the conversation, I found him and we chatted for about 20 minutes, and it was fine. Like you know, I I talked him down the ledge a little bit. He never came back. But that was interesting to me to answer your question. I think the other, man, I don't know. This might just sound so whatever. I'm just reflecting with the audience in real time on this. It For me, um, there are two things I want to talk about with you. Uh, and the lot, the last one's going to be communion and what that was like. So I have a lot okay, of thoughts sure. on
1: that.
0: We're definitely going to go there. Um, the thing that really got me was that a year ago, TNE and me and Noah were kind of like the new kids on the block. And then a year later, here we are. Like Derek is Derek Webb's like, dude, I just want to say your work is so good. I, it just means the world that you're doing it. I'm like, Derek. Oh no, I'm I heard the, the backstage talking about like, you. Right. And I'm just like, I again, I just feel it feels awkward. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm honored. I'm humbled. It's great. But like There, I mean, Derek is like he was one of the first people to go out on that ledge to carve paths that I'm I'm kind of walking on. And lost so much because of it. Yeah. And lost so much because of it. Yeah. So like it is so humbling to know and to hear just the encouragement that like the work as an organization that we're doing is good because real talk, Sarah, and I'm sure you're creative, you understand. There are days where you're just like I'm not doing enough. There's more work to do. I'm not responding to enough content. Like this take was not good. This wasn't helpful. Are we are we really making a difference? So it was really encouraging to have people affirm that for me personally and for the organization. So that that to me stuck out as just like, wow, okay, I think maybe we have something unique here to kind of help push things forward alongside of other amazing people. The other situation, which really sparks this whole conversation, I, I we spent 36 minutes to get up to this point. <laughs> Was Saturday night. Yeah. I am okay. Let me set the stage for the audience. This took place, this whole event took place at a at a church called the Venues Church. They're a progressive, inclusive, affirming church in uh Missouri. So it's a contemporary church. They have a stage, their drums are in a cage. Like it, it looks like an evangelical kind of setup. Drums these are in it's th- so right. I'm not lying. Right. Yeah, that, yeah. that's like t- they have light if bars. I see drums, yeah. If I see drums in a cage and light bars, I'm like, okay. All right. Evangelical, like no doubt. Right. So, so at the lat for the last thing that that trip wanted to do, which I thought was great, was he goes, Hey, what if we ended by me doing like a little sermon thing, which was so good, by the way, we're going to get that out to people as soon as we can because it was so good. And then we end with communion with flamey grant singing songs and Kevin Garcia, uh, leading the communion time. And then communion communion being served by all queer people and I was like yeah I freaking love that that's wonderful um so we did that and and I I found myself in such a moment of I was just I was frozen in that moment because um let's see got it It makes me a little uncomfortable and emotional even sharing this part of what I'm thinking but um For so long in my life, right, I believed that the moments I was a part of in my church circles were good, and you know the spirit was present, and they were like, and I was, for lack of a better term, I was safe and I was welcomed, and this was like my community, right? And a lot of it was centered around the importance of communion and like these very sacred moments where like you're reflecting and like you're checking, yeah, you had all all the cues. The
1: lights would get dark. You were given all these
0: cues. Right. The music was beautiful and emotional. And that, again, music is not, it's supposed to do that. So it's doing its job. And then when I lost my church, because, you know, I found boundaries for them that I guess were unacceptable. It was really difficult, right? To like, think about all those moments again and think about, well, how sincere were they? I mean, I was, I was in those encouragement circles, right? Where everyone's crying because they feel all bonded all of a sudden. I thought I found my people for a long time, or if I moved on, it would have been under like a, Blessing, God bless thing, not a, hey, you're too whatever for us. You <laughs> got to move on. Yeah. Right. So, so those moments trigger those memories, right? But also, when they're, when, when I was in that moment watching Kevin do their thing and Flamey singing these songs that are just about radical inclusivity and beauty, and Trip gives us this amazing sermon, and we're they're handing out the elements. And queer people are the ones handing it out. And there's all different tables for different kinds of dietary restrictions or alcohol or not. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. Like this feels like how it used to feel for me back in those evangelical days where I felt safe and I felt inclusive and it felt like, like the presence of God was here and God damn it. I'm not going to let them manipulate me again. That's what comes to my head. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not going to fall for the trick because I know what can happen with that, right? Now, now none of that is anyone's fault. No, Nothing that anyone did on Saturday night was bad or – this is me working through my own shit, right? This is me working through like my own feelings of I felt the emotions. I felt the beauty. I felt like, wow, something mystical is happening here. And then I just shoved down all of those feelings as deep as possible and said, they're not going to get me this time because they used to get me and it turned out that it was really a lie and i'm not going to do it again i'm still navigating that because the reality is is that i miss those moments i even miss playing worship music when i went to north point in may for the first time and the lights dimmed and the band kicked on i was like damn it if i'm honest with myself i miss doing this like i miss the grind i miss the early wake up call i love being behind the scenes with the band i miss playing drums in this context but also, I could never go back to that, right? So anyway, I'm navigating still through a lot of those feelings. But I would love, you know, a any reflections on that, plus your own thoughts on what that was like for you.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So first of all, exactly how you feel is how I have felt about so many of those moments because I've created the I've created the moment, the you know, the invitation to it, uh, and all that sort of stuff. And so. Um, and I will admit my own um, need to be uh, kind of like questioning of things, like skeptical, like this seems suspect, um, because I am usually I usually was critiquing it for other people. So for me, like who's not included was always the question, right? So then you're seeing an incredibly inclusive space. There probably could have been more people of color, but like up on the stage at that moment, there, were, there was a diversity. Of, it was kind of fun too, because they're like, only queer people are serving communion. And you're like, Oh wow! Um, what a neat experience. Um, funnily enough, one of my friends outed themselves because they're bi, but nobody knows because they're married to the other gender. <laughs> wow! So she, she was like, "Well, I guess this is the time." Um, wow! So, uh, but no one really noticed. I think it. What you're referring to is the fact that I lost my shit. Um, I started crying, which is like something I'm just learning to do. Um, I mean, I've always known how to cry, but I grew up uh, with, you know, a Canadian culture. I have an older brother, uh, you know, we we kind of have the frozen conceal, don't feel, or make a joke about it. Like I try to joke my way out of my own feelings all the time. Um, that's why Canadians are so funny because we just are like, let's avoid our feelings by making a joke about it. Um, and so one of the things I said is I literally like in, in the line to get communion, I turn around to Jess and I'm like, oh fuck, I'm still a Christian. Um, Because there is for me this like whole back and forth of like how harmful the church has been and God has felt so distant. And so um, communion has a lot of meaning for me, Uh, always has. And uh, it has been a really interesting year for me. Um, I discovered some repressed memories that have brought up things that I didn't know were part of my pain and even part of why i chose a church because i felt safer in a church space i felt safer in um, purity culture and i'll I'll let you guess what all of those memories were about but um i also have a really incredible relationship with my parents and i remember the first time i gave them a communion as the reverend sarah heath they were the first people i ever served communion to Um, so there is a lot of meaning for me around it Um, another piece of the puzzle is the last time I took communion in a large conference like that was um <clears throat> a couple of months before Rachel Held Evans died. And uh Rachel was a friend of mine. We were like in that new start of friendship time where we had spoken at an event and we had two dressing rooms, but we might as well have had one because the two of us just like hung out all the time. Um I knew that she was pregnant with her child. She hadn't told anyone, but we were having a dance off and she was like, Oh my god, I'm pregnant, like I'm gonna throw up. Um, you know, and so we had just as really fun friendship. And then she fought for me to get paid more at speaking events. And she just became a really important person to me. Um, and so the last time I went to the Evolving Faith Conference and I wasn't speaking and I was just a participant, but a lot of my friends were speaking at it. And um, I was getting ready to leave after communing because we were all leaving. And there was like a line to go see Rachel and everybody. And Rachel just turned around and gave me this ginormous bear hug. Um, and made me feel so welcome in the space and like made a big deal of me being there like thank you so much for coming like gosh i can't believe you would just like come to this um and someone snapped a picture of it and so it's like the last picture i have of rachel and i fast forward rachel's the reason that i have an airstream which is an even longer story but um so i was having moments of feeling like my whole life uh has transitioned over the last two years, uh, partly because of her passing. Um, and, uh, woo, this is fun anyway. And, uh, and because of the people on the stage, Kevin has been such an important part of my life. Um, and queer people, to be honest, have saved me, uh, cause I have been like so blessed by people Like letting me be part of stuff, even though I am a cisgender white girl who used to think being gay was like being an alcoholic. Um, People have been so kind, and some of my closest friends and soulmates, in many ways, are that. And so, and I have fought, fought for them, and will continue to fight for them. And I've lost a lot, uh, but but so should I. Um, And so there was just a lot of that going on for me. Um, And then the song they sang was um from Brandy Carlisle. And I had never heard it before. And it spoke to a deep um part of me that discovering these repressed memories have have really has made me feel isolated from other humans. Um and it has made me realize that I chose a job that isolated me from other humans because there was always a wall. But I let that job go and I have stepped into being like, our joke is like, I'm human, Sarah, and I'm just trying to figure out how to human. And so uh, there was this overwhelming, I had the same reaction as you. No, I'm going to make fun of this so I can feel comfortable and safe. And I don't have to feel these feelings. And um, so... This is a lot of personal information, but maybe your audience has felt this way. Uh, I was at a conference two weeks ago that were um, women entrepreneurs. And I love it because I don't love women's conference, but this one does not like it at all. Our last speaker was a loke. I don't know if you know who that is. A non-binary like, oh, fashion. They are amazing. Uh, But I went to a grief ceremony thinking I was going there for my friend whose mom had passed away. So she was going to go and I was like, Oh, I'll go support her. So I go to this grief thing, but I'm doing the same thing. Like I'm not going to be manipulated by a grief ceremony. Like I don't want to cry with a bunch of girls. Like that was just my like whole thing. I'm not going to cry. I was a sorority girl. So cliche. They would always like try to get us to have special feelings. And I'm like, I don't I'm not a soccer player. I don't have feelings. Uh, I listen to really loud music. I don't have feelings. Um, I'm from Canada. Yeah. I'm Canadian and British. We don't have feelings. And so, um, and I'm always aware of what I feel like is emotional manipulation, right? I'm always thinking through that. Um, so I go to this grief ceremony and I'm like, oh, you know, there's like essential oils and we're writing down our things. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. We're in a circle and they have us facing out. But then she has us face in and has us read each other's stories as if it's our grief. And I was like, I, I like wrote down what of my grieving is I'm grieving being who I thought I was going to be. I'm grieving having the career I used to think I was going to have. I'm grieving all these things. And then over and over again, people had the same grief. So I'm sitting in there. I'm like, Oh, this is, and then people did had lost people or dogs or whatever. Um, I say all that to say I'm in that circle and I start crying and I immediately hear my grandmother who, um, I had a British grandmother, uh, and she'd always leave me like, well, don't make a scene. Uh, but in the same breath, she'd say, it's better to be looked at for making a scene than not to be looked at at all. But she used to always sort of say, don't make a scene. And in that moment, um, in that thing, I said to her, you don't have to protect me anymore. Um, they don't think I'm silly for crying. And I, it, it changed everything. And then all of a sudden, I had all these creative thoughts. And so that's like two weeks after that. So I'm standing there, and I start having that doubting voice. Like, you're not experiencing this. You're just being reactive because you love all these people and you're going to miss them. Like, stop being emotional. This isn't a God thing. Blah, blah, blah. Like, don't do it. And then all of a sudden I was like, you don't have to protect me anymore. And so was what I said. Like, you don't have to protect me anymore. It's okay to cry. And in fact, not crying has probably been problematic in your life. So I just started crying, but then I didn't want to make a scene. So I go and I think I'm hiding in a corner and I'm like just crying, but I'm like, maybe people think I'm praying. I don't know. And then I feel hands on my back.
0: Oh no, it's
1: happening. But wait, I thought it was like the people who were at the end of the like row that were like people that I didn't super know. And they had earlier told me how much they love my show. And I'm like, oh, they probably like, this is so embarrassing. But then I was like, just like feel the feelings. Heath. Like you can feel the feelings. And then when I look up, it's Mason Meningo, one of my best friends. It's Damon. You're standing there. Um, Noah's standing there. And I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. And this is okay. And um, what happened to me as a child doesn't separate me from humanity. Who I was as a pastor didn't separate me from humanity. I'm just a girl sitting in front of her ridiculous friends, weeping, while they're like, "I don't know what the fuck's going on," but I'm gonna hug her. Like, and I think uh, I needed to feel like a person, and I think that was the feeling that everybody in that room had, um, that we're okay with it. And then some people, I'm sure, were like, "I'm triggered by this experience. I'm leaving." For me, there has always been so much meaning around the Jesus and however you feel about Jesus having a meal with people. It's always been like the very humanity of that uh, that has compelled me. And so to allow myself to be a human has been a big part of my journey. And that is why I lost my shit is pairing all of that stuff together in this one moment and wanting to react against it and then realizing, no, you're still that person. You're still the person who these things mean something to. And you may not know how to like weigh both of those things, but it's okay like, you, I don't think you were like, oh, God, Sarah's not who I thought she was. She cried during communion. What a thing. I, I definitely <laughs> did
0: not think that. That was what, not a thought that entered my mind. <laughs> 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 or we just start laughing. Ha, 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 ha. No, that, that that was not a thing that ever happened. I, I heard from quite a few people. Um That were really moved and that were like, you know, I haven't, I haven't been in a place like that in a long time and it was really healing for me. So I think the overwhelming feeling for most people, even once you were uncomfortable, see it as a, as a general positive thing. I, um. Yeah. I don't know. I have a block in my head still. Like, I think what happened was great. I mean, I'm not saying it was bad. And and if we do it again, it should, if we do beer camp again, right. It should definitely happen again. I think that's actually a really healthy thing because a lot of people who go to these things. I'm, I'm assuming anyway, that the majority are, have some spirituality or some sense of Christianity in their bones still. And so I think it's really good that we, that we do things that even though they were ruined by our previous faith experience, um, are still core to the Christian tradition. And so, and communion is one of those things. And I also think for me, it was a good reminder that like, um, the function of a guitar on stage, the function of the bread and the wine, the function of the environment being a little more emotional is not inherently bad. No. Just because it is that way does not make it bad. Even if my experience historically, or I, I should put it this way, even though I I look through, um my previous experience with a different set of lenses right because of what happened right Right. i i think that's fair i just think that for me there's still something that and i don't know what it is i I don't have a language for it but the bottom line is that i refuse to get emotional in those moments even if i do like i so that's safety making right to get
1: like to get a little uh to get a little uh actual therapeutic on you, since I am someone Uh-oh. who's done a lot of therapy. Um I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, it is allowed. Um, our body. So for instance, for me, um, our body remembers, you know, our body keeps the score. We hear that all the time. Our body remembers things and our go- body is always trying to protect us, right? That's its natural habitat. That's that that's like what it's trying to do. It's always trying to satiate us. It's always trying to get us to an equal level. Um, and our body is always trying to protect us. By the way, I should say, I do have a degree in biology and psychology, so I am somewhat. Yeah. So, uh, I do know about your brain. Also, my dad's a doctor, mom's a nurse. We always talked about our bodies as a kid. Um, so I, I think your, your body and your art is trying to protect you. And I don't think you have to question that let it do it until it doesn't want to anymore
0: i I think that's accurate for sure and there's also hmm well i think in this moment the best way i can put it is that because i'm someone who's 6'4 265 pounds and i'm a big guy and I have a beard, I have tattoos, and I'm direct and I'm blunt, you know, online. And also because I did not grow up in a household. Now, my parents are great humans, don't misunderstand anyone. I say this all the time. But like one of the things was that like my dad's not a very emotional person. That's totally fine. Like he's a great human. He did a lot of... He showed us his love by how he worked for us and how he provided for us. So I I recognize that. Um, but like I I'm not... I'm emotional for sure, but I don't cry a lot. And then when I was in the space where I finally was vulnerable enough to allow myself to be that person and to cry during those moments, I got screwed over, right? Like I got pushed out, not because of that, but because of other things. So I think you're right. Like I think that there is a layer of I just don't want people, I don't trust people enough yet to let that part of me out publicly. And that's and great. And also, I'm navigating my own masculinity and what it means to be a man.
1: And you're being authentic Um, with it. Like if you started like, oh, everyone around me is crying. So I should cry like that. That is once again, just returning to being manipulative and being manipulated. So it's like the thing I love about those spaces is that any, everybody's can be how they want to be. I think some people walk out because they can't do communion and nobody was like, oh no, why'd they leave? It's just sort of an understanding of, Hey, that's where you're at. And I think, um, you know, our bodies hold on to memories longer than we do um and that's been proven over and over again in fact there's more sensory in our bodies than there are in our in our memory in the place where our memory is held um so for instance for me my experience of having some memories come back that i didn't know i i had no language for it i just i have done things that don't make sense and now they make sense like um and i i actually like had a a, a moment when my body just started weeping and I, I was so embarrassed. It was in front of a therapist. I was so embarrassed. Like, I don't know why I'm crying. And she said, it's okay. Your body does. And I, I was immediately like exhausted. It was like from the years of like holding against, you know, cause it used to be like when I wanted to cry, I'd run. Like I would just right. literally run, <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> right. and I, I mean, to the point where I was in college and a college boyfriend like came driving up, and he's like, uh, all my frat brothers said they saw you running. Are we okay? And I was like, Oh no, I was just like running for exercise. He's like, Oh, I thought that you were dealing with some feelings. Um, and I think it's okay to let yourself be where you are and not, you don't have to have that reaction to feel like this was really meaningful and to think maybe it'll be meaningful for me at another time. Like, just don't, for far too long, I felt like I was messing up worship because I wasn't hands in the air crying, right? I was like, well, I guess I just don't love God as much as everyone else does. Um, And then to have friends later who were like, oh, no, that was, like, all performative. Like, even – I've had friends tell me they, like, faked being able to speak in tongues so they could be ordained in their – in the AG denomination. Like, what?
0: For like, sure.
1: Right. Like, what? I was just saying the names of cars. Like, that's not well Well, that, that
0: is, that's a good point. That's another layer, I think, for me, is that being a drummer in those spaces for so long, I do know, like, how those moments in rehearsal get, manufactured is a very intense and negative term, but how they get created, right? Like I, like I know, for example, when spontaneous moments happen, they definitely can. But I also know that during rehearsal, what you say is like, yeah, we could have a spontaneous moment here. So here's our chord progression, right? <laughs> so if it happens, it is, so, so like if it happens, it is spontaneous, but also we kind of talked about it ahead of time. And also there's a music director in our ear calling the shots. And also we're it's, you know, it's not so much, this sense of like this magical you know um voodoo spirit controlling us it's more about us as humans reading the room and using the chords to create a moment of like you know this emotional thing that then gives us impression that like god is moving but we're not calling it that or we're, we're not calling it the music we're calling it god so like i think the, all of those thoughts are, are also interwoven into this in me also in the process of renegotiating my own relationship to music being used in a religious context to invoke a sense of awe and wonder that I don't think again is inherently bad at all because music does that and that's a good thing like music is beautiful and the arts are gorgeous and I'm a musician I get it I'm still though working on like how I relate to that knowing that for a lot of years I was complicit in giving people the impression that like this was again this magical holy spirit as opposed to us working with music to create a sense of awe and wonder, which is fine, but it wasn't positioned like that. It's not just awe and wonder.
1: I think for me, there's also this like connection piece. Um, You know, as a kid who went to a lot of indie rock shows and I, you know, conference or uh, festivals and things like that, there is something that um, is so connecting for me. And in the same way where I can say, oh, I went to this show and I saw... You know, for instance, I've seen um, Death Cab for Cutie a lot. Yeah. Um, like from the very beginning where like Ben Gibbard sold me a T-shirt and my ticket was $8. Like very like small. Like <laughs> Okay, elder millennial. I'm so old. It's like I'm ancient. Um, I'm not ancient, ancient, but I'm pretty ancient. Um, and I've always wondered like, why do I feel most myself in those spaces? And I think it's because there is this sense of we're having a shared experience, right? Um, And the truth is like both my parents are musical. They still both sing in oratory choirs. So I'm seeing like huge like symphony productions and my parents are up there in the chorus, right? And um, I think there is this connecting piece that music does for us, but we want to make sure it's done in a way that isn't, because of our work, we don't want to manipulate people or be manipulated. And I think that's okay right now to say, all right, this is like, I'm, I'm really glad this is working for other people, quote unquote, working for other people. And I can be okay with the fact like right now, this isn't the thing that makes me feel connected. Because I watched you like cruise around talking to people during like the fest like the carnival time. To me, it looked like you were connecting with people. Like that was your time to feel that sense of awe and wonder. Like I think that's the beauty of music to me is it lets me feel on wonder. It takes me out of my head and into my body, a place that I avoided for a very long time. Um, And I'm just now getting to be able to listen to music again for a while. I couldn't. Um, So yeah, I, I don't know, give your, you know, as Dan would say, give yourself permission. <laughs> you have permission.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, uh, Sarah and Dan.
1: <laughs> yeah. You, I think it's, And as a musician, it holds so many, it's like a, it's a body memory thing too, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 It would be cool one day if if we do beer camp next year and I, and I end up like playing drums for like uh Derek and flamey. that would that. I think that's a way to reclaim it for me. Right. Yeah. It's like, Oh, like there's, cause I play in a cover band and it's fun, but there's no sense of like spirituality attached to it. So it feels kind of empty to me, to be honest with you. Like I can only play instinct so many times to drunk people before I'm like, okay, like I've done it before. It's yeah. kind of over it, but like there is, cause there is a part of it, whether I like it or not, where I've just been kind of wired to see the spirituality and the music I'm playing as well. And so I do think, like, man, like playing with those people would be amazing and like maybe another step if it ever happens and kind of reclaiming yeah, and not forgetting the, the spiritual
1: sense. The word you're using, reclaiming, is really important. Um, if we just avoid spaces forever, and that's some people's way of dealing and absolutely do it. Um, you know, some people won't come to theology beer camp because it was in a church. Uh, that's fine. But there is something lovely about reclaiming a space. So you're wearing a shirt right now that says uh, the queer revival. That's because Ivy does
0: shout out to Ivy King. Yeah.
1: Ivy does her shows in churches because reclaiming the space to a place where it can be generative and creative and beautiful is so important for her. um, And the people around her, Um, because now that space doesn't hold weight in the same way. Now there's like, Good stuff. It's in the same way like when you go through a breakup and you're like, I'll never go to that restaurant again. I I legitimately saw my friend break up with a girl in a Whole Foods. And I was like, You just fucked up Whole Foods for her. <laughs> like, that's, like, that's all I could think was like, choose somewhere like that. She never wants to go again. Yeah,
0: like like McDonald's or something. I don't know. Right, yeah. right. Now now she's
1: like getting groceries and paying an arm and a leg and thinking, This whole place is terrible. Maybe that's good actually. Um, but I, you know, at that meaning that we get in like a show, like there's It's in the same way too. I feel like people who listen to the music I listen to during the time that I listen to it, you know, um, we, we have a shared narrative that I don't have to explain to them why that means so much to me. Like why those lyrics, like the national, why the national makes me weepy or like, why, like I, you know, I postal services album, my, seminary boyfriend and I broke up to that album I mean come on like come so when I hear that on, help, you did not we did we did and I it was like playing on my car and with the conversation we we're having and like he's such a meaningful incredible person and like just all that stuff there right it's all layered and I think in the same way we broke up with church and now we have to reclaim the space for us and decide whether we want to do it or not you know and and you have permission to decide it's a not But the part that's fascinating for me right now in my own life is I have permission to say it still is.
0: That's what scares me, damn it, because that's me. We're talking two
1: years. I couldn't even. Same. I couldn't even be in. Like, I don't know that I could have done the venues last year in the same way. I could go into like the more liturgical space we were in because that was my. But the place where I was most harmed, to be honest, was an evangelical space and most harmed by. and I, <laughs> I don't know that I could. And now, like I'm reclaiming it, like I'm goofing around with my friends in there, and it has a different. It's like this is just a space.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. It's 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 what we make of it, right? And um and that goes both ways. Like the harm that was committed can carry on into those spaces, right? But also as we, um, continually uh, work on healing from our own um maybe adverse religious experience or church trauma. Um, and we have more and we we regain more of our autonomy. We can make an informed decision of like, no, I don't want to be here because I don't want to be not because I'm not just because I'm scared of it or actually I kind of miss parts of it. Like I want to put my pinky toe back in the water and that kind of terrifies me. But also I know that like the space is what we make it. It's not inherently this or that, right? We, we read the meaning back into that. So, yeah, I'm with you on a lot of this stuff. It sounds like you and I are kind of aligned on that journey because uh, it's been about uh, let's see, April of 2021 was the last time I played drums in my church of six years. So yeah, about two and a half years now. And I told people online this too. I'm like, I'm kind of at the place where I'm kind of interested again. I kind of miss it. I want to find, you know, more beautiful space. And I, I miss having people in my life. I miss community. I miss the sense of, of belonging. I I'm, I miss the sense of spiritual practice. I'm kind of there. And I'm okay with that. I am okay with that. Um, Even if sometimes the moments make me a little uncomfortable or my body goes, I guess, into safety mode, right? But I just think that's part of growing and part of the journey that we have to deal with as we keep moving forward. So
1: Yeah, and I would just encourage anyone to actually check in with your body about spaces and things. Um, For me, as someone who grew up um, as an athlete, like I played sports since I was tiny, I learned how to ignore her, my body. Um, and then when I was going through a lot, uh, eating disorders were really easy for me to fall into, um, because it was like a way of being able to control something. And, and I think being able to check in with your body in a space and say, how do I really feel about this? You know? Um, and you know, for me, I do this thing where I just, you'll see me put my hand like, like over my heart. And what I'm doing is like reminding myself I'm a person, like, like getting really present to like, oh, I'm here what am I thinking about this? Because I don't always know. What am I feeling about this is also an important question for me. And I wasn't allowed to do that within a lot of religious spaces because for me, I was always performative. And um, I remember one pastor told me, no one wants to follow a sad person, Sarah, so hide your emotions. Um, and I, I, I just want to welcome people to be wherever they are at, at this point. And if you, just, if you think about going back to a church and you're afraid that's going to make you like less of a deconstructionist, Like, I think we're done with fundamentalism, friends, one way or the other, right? And the opposite of wonder, because all I want in this world right now is wonder and curiosity. That's all I want. I am so tired of thinking I know how things are going to go. I'm so tired of predicting the future. I am so tired. Like My therapist, like when we first started working together, would laugh and be like, man, it must be so nice to know how everything's going to work out. Because I had made a plan for a plan for a plan. And she's like, what if you just experienced it? And I think for... For me right now, the value is coming from wonder and curiosity and going, okay, what is this space right now for me in this moment? Okay. That's what it is for me right now in this moment.
0: Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Good. And that's all we have. Cool. I'm on board. Sarah, this was a lot of fun. It was a good time uh, debriefing with you and- Having um uh I guess a small glimmer of our of our conversation in our, in our Wait, lawn chair there's now. Other,
1: our other now lawn, lawn chair pump conversation pump. is just you and me. We don't need to ever <laughs> tell anyone about it. You have enough to That's sink hilarious. my entire career ever.
0: So likewise, apparently. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're gonna be like, oh my gosh, Tim and Sarah have like really weird kinks or something yeah. on. <laughs> That's what people are gonna think, no guys, we're just like, you know, no. no.
0: It was just one of those things where it was like, I can't believe I'm telling you this, but this and it's like oh i have somebody to tell you that that no one besides like three people know it's hilarious so <laughs> anyway it, it was fun it was a good time sarah it was great um talking to you and hanging good out where can folks heath. find you like where's yeah. where's your content
1: yeah you can find me at rev sarah heath right now on instagram is probably where you find me most um and sarah and heath have a lot of ages uh you can find me at dot com and uh you can find me on the Rev Recovery podcast, and pretty soon, Making Spaces will be back, so that'll be fun.
0: Hell yeah! Well, it's great talking. Keep in touch, of course, and we'll do it again, sure, um, soon, hopefully. I love it. See ya. See ya.